Welcome back to the Human Rights Podcast from the Irish Centre for Human Rights at NUI Galway. My name is Dr Maeve Rourke. I'm a lecturer in the Irish Centre for Human Rights. And I'm very grateful to our PhD scholars and staff team who are helping to produce this podcast and also to Tom Fell, Head of Journalism at NUIG, for facilitating our recording in the radio studio here at NUIG. We have a really special episode for you today and it's one that I personally could not be more excited about as I love traditional music, both listening to it and playing the fiddle. And I'm still on a high from the wonderful, absolutely stunning concert that our guests put on yesterday as part of Arts in Action at NUI Galway. I'm joined today by three exceptional folk musicians, Mary McPartland, Lisa Knapp and Jerry Diver, whom I'll introduce fully in a moment. We're going to speak about the connections between the arts, particularly music and human rights or social justice, depending on which term speaks more to you, our listeners and to our guests. NUI Galway has an extremely proud tradition of nurturing and engaging its students, staff and the wider community in the creative arts. At the Irish Centre for Human Rights in particular, this tradition came to life in summer 2015 when in partnership with the Hunt Museum, the centre convened an international summer school on the arts and human rights with the theme of belonging. This international academic conference was described as a world first, and it aimed to highlight the need to pay greater attention to the synergies that exist between the disciplines of arts and human rights and the related concepts and methods that are of concern to the two, whether it's freedom of thought, freedom of expression, respect for the equal worth of individuals and communities, or a focus on injustice, or anything else that we might touch upon in our conversation today. So I'm delighted now to introduce Mary McPartland. Welcome to the Human Rights Podcast, Mary. Thanks very much, Maeve. I'm really delighted to be here. Mary McPartland is one of Ireland's best-known traditional and folk singers. From Drunkiran in Leitrim, she's lived most of her life in Galway. A high-profile professional singer, her albums include the critically acclaimed The Holland Handkerchief and Petticoat Loose, and From Mountain to Mountain. Mary's a lecturer in the creative arts, and she's the traditional artist-in-residence at NUI Galway. She is the innovator and creative director of the hugely successful Arts in Action programme, which is run from the College of Arts, Social Sciences and Celtic Studies, and Mary's going to tell us more about this over the course of our podcast. She's been described as a driving force in the cultural life of Galway City for many years, and it's very clear to me as a new staff member here in NUI Galway that this is a reputation well-deserved and that you also very much drive the artistic core of this university. Mary's an honorary clinical fellow at the School of Medicine, and you might talk to us a bit about why you work with medical students and why you find that important. And Mary's also a Fulbright ambassador for NUI Galway, having received a Fulbright scholarship in 2013 to Lehman College, part of CUNY, and having worked with jazz pianist Bertha Hope in New York as well. Beside Mary, we have two exceptional folk musicians, Lisa Knapp and Jerry Diver, who we were so fortunate yesterday to hear from in concert as part of the Arts in Action programme. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a privilege. Thank you for having us. And welcome, Jerry. Thank you, too. It's great to be here. Lisa Knapp is from London. She's a multi-award winning folk singer, songwriter, fiddle player and multi-instrumentalist. Lisa, you might describe the different instruments that you were playing yesterday. 
I suppose my biggest instrument would be my voice, but I do like to play with different textures. So I sing with like plucked violins, my sort of next main instrument. So plucked violin, bowed violin, viola. And also we used an auto harp doing various things to that. That was it for yesterday. Sometimes we have more, believe it or not. I also use a a loop station and I like to use field recordings and recordings of nature and stuff like that in pieces. So That was an amazing combination yesterday, not just of the instruments that you had on the stage, but also the ones and different types of sounds you were Mm. playing through. Mary, am I correct in thinking that the performances from Arts in Action are recorded? I hope so. And some of them then are uh, sent to the archive, to the James Hardiman Library, to be uh, edited there. Great. So our listeners can look them up. I couldn't recommend it more. Lisa has released three beautiful albums. Her most recent, released in 2017, is entitled Till April is Dead, A Garland of May. And as an unearthing and celebration of May Day rituals, it's been described as genuinely groundbreaking by Folk Radio UK. I don't think I've quite done it justice, so Lisa, you might actually describe what's so different about this album that you released in 2017. Um, Okay, so quite some time ago, during my career in uh, folk song, I kept coming across these unusual songs that were called May songs or May carols. And I I just found them quite interesting. You know, as as a kid, the memories I have of May were, you know, dancing around a maypole in infant school and, and that was kind of it. But um, so I just found it interesting that there was um, material just relating to specific occurrences on May Day. And um, I just began to explore that in traditional song and also looking into folklore and rituals, really, that and, and beliefs uh, around May Day. Uh, so I suppose I tried to radiate out from where I'm based. So I'm based in sort of southeast London. Um, and, you know, there's quite a lot of stuff that goes on in sort of various parts of, of Britain. But actually, you know, I found that it's 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 a phenomenon that sort of happens really due to the profound change in the weather in that time of year across sort of northern Europe and Western Europe. And, you know, I found things uh, from France, from Germany, sayings about May, usually about good luck or bad luck, but things around May. And that there are quite a lot of um, rituals that seem to be outside of organised religion. And I found that quite fascinating. It's like, you know, where has that come from? And what, you know, that people still hold something that could be very ancient. I mean, it's hard to sort of know, but I think also the fact that it relates to the landscape, I find quite interesting and compelling. And so it's basically an exploration of that in history and in modern day, and so sort of using very various textures and also sounds of nature and urbanism and all of that. So various songs, some attached to specific rituals, some just that take place in the month of May. Because I think in literature, outside of that, the month of May has a lot of resonances in terms of philosophical ideas and rebirth, regeneration. Um, so it actually, is, it sounds sort of quite, you know, I guess a bit quaint when you say it, but when you look deeper, it's actually quite a big, big idea. So that was the idea behind that album. And you played some beautiful 
excerpts and signs beautiful excerpts from it yesterday Jerry Diver apart from being Lisa's husband is a supremely talented Irish traditional musician Jerry, I understand you were born in Manchester to Irish parents and you moved back with the family to Donegal when you were 14 and after that went to UCC where you studied under Michal O'Sullivan. You played yesterday from one, I believe, of your two fiddle albums and I found your piece absolutely fascinating because it's not what one would expect here as a piece of Irish traditional music. It was from an album called The Speech Project and... Mm -hmm. You might describe very briefly what the Speech Project is all about. Sure. Um, Speech Project was exploring the inherent musicality of the Irish language, both in terms of the the accent, the dialect, and then translating that and using it as a springboard into musical motifs. So using a minimalism and Irish music. So I I basically took interviews of different musicians, well-known musicians, People like Shane McGowan, Christy Moore, Martin Hayes, and some archive recordings of Joe Cooley and Margaret Barry, and then teased out the pitch of what they were saying and trying to uh, extract and be inspired by the emotion. So, for example, when he was speaking, when I was chatting to Christy Moore, I noticed every time he got into a very emotional space, he would go into D minor. Really, there's music every day in, in, in everybody's language, and it's a bit like if you listen to somebody and you're not a native speaker of the language, you, you don't get caught up in the content of what they're saying. You suddenly hear the inherent, elusive, obvious musicality of language, which we don't recognise because we're caught up in the story of listening for content. Jerry, you also have a vast portfolio in music production and composition. So to move to our topic under discussion, which is the connections between the arts and music in particular and human rights. Mary, I would really love to hear from you about the Arts in Action programme at NUI Galway, how it was conceived, how long you've been doing it and what you think the value of it is. Well, coming into work at NUI Galway in around 2005, I became very aware as an artist and uh, I have to say very firmly that uh, everything I do is expressed through an artistic form uh, and I found that there was a little time or effort spent in that whole area of allowing a creativity into uh, academic modules and um, structures. And I started small in terms of arts in action, bringing in great artists, singers, musicians, uh, dancers, literature, theatre, everything really over a period. But as time went on, I also realised that apart from arts in action, making it accessible, uh, at a high, high level, professional level, that there was much more to it in terms of uh, how a student can actually work better individually if they have a creative sense about the work they are doing academically. So Arts in Action, I began that pioneering journey and I can say that Arts in Action is a module as of uh, this very September with uh, 26 students taking it as a five credit module. And it is incredible to see them and to see their responses already in how, first of all, the joy that it brings and how it's a stressless experience for them. And uh, I intend to build upon that. And it's certainly the overall uh, idea is to reach out to every aspect of academic endeavor, whether it's engineering or business or medicine or science, 
and point towards uh, creativity as creativity, arts, the artists, performance, their history, everything about them and the work that they do. Uh, experiencing that at a one-to-one level as they have access to that now uh, every Wednesday and allowing it to be absorbed over a period of time and how it can be of such a positive experience to each and every student um, that attends. What is a creative sense of an academic subject? Uh, Creatively, any subject, in any way. What it does is allows uh, the mind to open up, to think perhaps outside the box, to look at something with a creative sense. So it could be anything in any way. Uh, In medicine, it's definitely thinking outside the box because it's so structured, you know, two and two is definitely four. It can't be four and a half in medicine because somebody could die. But in the way that you train in medicine and the way you deal with how you cope and how you treat and work with people who are sick on a one-to-one basis. That is very important. It's also how it makes you feel yourself and how it opens up your heart and your soul and your mind and puts you in a better place. It's much more obvious in the arts and humanities, in in theatre, in creative writing, in English. I find that in, in business, the creativity is super important also if it's only for self-confidence building and allowing again to think outside the box. And you find in science and in engineering that there's so much uh, artistry uh, that's connected to the whole, the whole area. You can find creativity in everything, in every way, all the time. You were involved in 2015 in organising the summer school that the Irish Centre for Human Rights held on the arts and human rights. And with that in mind, and just generally, do you have any thoughts on the latent connections, the need for further investigation of the connections between the arts and human rights and how they relate to each other? Well, the very first thing that comes to mind, because I have been an activist uh, and a human rights activist, civil rights activist over the years, and um, and again, it come from be- comes from being an artist in that we are all of a very vulnerable section of the population. Vulnerability is the first word I would use for artists. And then vulnerability for those who are exposed to the harshness of life through economics, through church, through state. And when I was involved in that conference, I uh, focused on uh, a great, great traveler, a musician. And first thing he would say, I was born on the top of a barrel top wagon and uh, I've been playing the pipes uh, for many, many years. And uh, he was one of 16 children. I feel that he was a magnificent example of how he was strong in the pursuance of his life, though he was very vulnerable and obviously suffered in his life. Jerry, would you agree with Mary that vulnerability is something that artists experience or connect to? That there's something about making art that is vulnerable and possibly connects people to others who are vulnerable? I think so, because... um... As an artist, you are um, possibly in society not seen as you're doing a soft subject in in terms of um of, of your life path. I think um, artists are very fragile creatures in lots of ways. They're very sensitive people, and there is a sensitivity to most artists I work with as a producer. I've noticed that. Um, 
I believe, yeah, we tend to reject our own thoughts because they are our own thoughts often. So there is a vulnerability in that sense. We all have a sense of resistance at times to our own work. And that's part of the hero's journey, as Campbell would say, Joseph Campbell, that we are often as artists have to kind of, we have to go into the forest and find our own path and come out the other side. And if we're taking a, a path which is well-trodden, it's probably not the right path. So in the sense of the hero's journey, absolutely, we are very, very vulnerable and we have to, at times, step up and do deep work and grab, step up to the plate. So yeah, that's part of the, the thing of being a artist, absolutely. So there's a deep truth and an honesty and a fragility in being an artist and you immediately connect what you know when I was talking about the word vulnerable you immediately connect with the vulnerability of others so you will find that artists are the very are the first people to be involved and engaged in uh, activity fundraising performances for uh, different causes for homeless people for uh, refugees you know there's an endless list but you would find that the and folk artists, folk musicians yeah. are absolutely the first group that will always be open and always make themselves available. That's not saying anything about people who are classical musicians or otherwise, but certainly it's a fact that folk musicians will always reach out to the less well off. I think it's, it's economic status as well. Isn't it? Most, most artists you know, in practical practicality are self-employed yes so you know you go from project to project and people you know also teach and 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 do other things in order to sustain themselves but there is there there is a precariousness to being self-employed in whatever field you're in and I think when you're in that position you can identify with others in that position so it it is a vulnerable place to be isn't it when when you know work is sort of as a self-employed anything you know, um... I think also, you know, folk music is music of the people. It tends to come from, you know, working, class, working classes. Right, yeah. and, and I suppose so people who are in folk traditions often are a lot closer and have more sense of that because they know people or they've experienced it or whatever. So that's part of the fabric. Folk music definitely has a connection, um, particularly American folk music, with protests from the 1960s, mm. 1970s. Do you think that that's still the case, that folk music occupies a particular position in relation to protest or issues of social injustice? Um, or what are your views about how music is developing now? Well, I think there's been a bit of a resurgence of late, of the very recent um, past of folk musicians stepping up to the plates. Things like folk against fascism in England and a certain amount of protest singers emerging. But I think possibly when things in the decades previous to that, it was things were quieter. And I think it's also moving away from folk music to a lot of young punk bands, hip hop, grime. Um, yeah, and like Skinny a, Girl Day of yeah, it's music more yeah. generally rather than specifically folk music to me at the moment. In Western culture, anyway, the massive responses to Trump, you know, mm. and at home now it's Brexit and, you know, 10 years of right wing austerity. I think there's certainly amongst the, the younger generation, I mean, we've got a 16-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. and certainly amongst her generation, you know, many issues that were kind of different even in our day. Issues of gender and discrimination um, is really something her generation is Absolutely, running against. Yeah. The Me Too movement is, you know, also very prevalent. And I think, think yes, there are folk musicians responding to that, definitely. As a, someone that works with, traditional song I think even you know if something is not necessarily overtly political 
there's so much politics embedded in into it because the personal is political in a way everything is political and then there's a difference with sort of overtly political songs about particular things but i think it's coming from all sections of music at the moment as you say you know grime punk punk scene coming back i don't think it's as obvious in ireland usually we follow england in some way you know like Shane McGowan was the great Irish songwriter mm-hmm. and he was part mm-hmm. of that punk movement. Uh, and we also followed, you know, the, the music and the lyrics of uh, Ewan McCall and Peggy Seeger in that period. We um, listened and we still listen to the great, great Christy Moore, the quintessential protest songwriter on, on issue-based uh, situations. Yeah. I mean, he is He's the amazing. best. Yeah. But yeah. overall, I would say that uh, the traditional uh, niche market of traditional artists here, that of course we are always ready to support and defend and maybe march for causes, that within our music, I don't think that big political statements as such, apart from women singers who lately became involved in a, as a group uh, to point out the fact that women singers uh, certainly in Ireland were not being acknowledged or getting enough work you know in parity with men there was a certain yeah. something happening there I'm not involved in that myself but the younger women seem to have been very upset about that but that's for themselves on the issue-based things I don't think that the traditional music in Ireland currently is uh, making an impact for our issues I think it's tough as well to get in England. Certainly, it's tough to get radio play if you do anything political. Mm. Um, just it think can of, be. You know, the, the song we did, I believe, yeah. Brian Tom Robertson was um, called "Mighty Soul of Justice," and it was, you know, a, a campaign song about against kind of legal aid to certain sections of society in England. Yeah, which um, was massive. But it didn't get played on the radio because yeah. it's a very hot. It could be seen as being partisan or something like that. So I think there is an issue of things getting getting any kind of airtime or yes and in ireland it's 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 worse than that because Mm -hmm. our big problem is traditional music getting played on the national radio station at all Mm -hmm. we have to we have to be grateful to uh tg cahar and radio and of course programs on local radio to get traditional music Mm -hmm. and folk music Mm -hmm. uh, um, on the airwaves at all the national station does very little. I, I'd say though, actually, in terms of um, respect for traditional music, Ireland is doing a lot better than England in that way. I mean, we have one hour a week on BBC Radio Two, and that is it. You yeah. know, maybe the odd local radio stations and podcasts and stuff like that, but um, mm. there is no national recognition really of folk music at home. People in Ireland are aware that there is a folk tradition. I think if people in England, it's only just kind of trickling. You know, I suppose we have a televised folk awards now and people are sort of aware maybe that there are shanties. Well, I would, you know, add to that by saying that we don't have that the desperate need either because mm. it's inherent mm. within us, mm. you know, every man, woman, child mm. growing up now that they have access to tuition mm. on traditional instruments mm. and that it's part of everybody's life. Yes. Like, any other thing that they do so they have a sense of it uh, and then it comes from there it goes into the whole thing of going to uh, competition uh, going to the cultist sessions and you know going through that whole stream of activity which at the end you have some 
all the great musicians that are coming out of that now. So it's inherent in our growing up. Front. It's a, it's, a it's different completely thing. different. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in England, the 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 um, parallel would be that you just do classical music. Although um, growing up in Manchester as a, as a second generation, yeah. Team, it was endemic Irish music because you know, that I did was the Celtic a, thing because and that was three nights a week and Irish community. Yeah, so but as like English the English community, doesn't it just yeah. doesn't, and and it's it's yeah. you know there there is a, a it's thing. massive. It's There's a treasure trove of history thing. that has the people's voices at its heart. It's mm. the history and the feelings yeah. and the emotions of the workers. You know the people that were sent to Botany Bay to make Australia and die of dysentery the people that were you know and people aren't aware of those stories and a lot of those ballads and and i it's it's a it's a shocker really what i would be saying to you is that what really needs to happen is that english folk music somehow or other is embedded into academia that's not at third level at second Mm. level at first level but definitely uh, at third level that Mm. you you know that needs to be there's no way you're going to get to the population of England uh, to well, it, write that unless you do it. It, it has started. Education. Yes, there, you know, you can, since the 90s, you can study um, traditional music in England, in uh, Newcastle. And there's yeah. been a strong degree there now for a sort of couple of decades. Sheffield mm. um, and one or two sort of other places now beginning to do that. But prior to that, you probably could study any other music except English folk music. Which is bizarre. Which is that's very sad. It's very rich. The English folk music is a very rich. Mary, yesterday you joined our two wonderful musicians at the end of their concert by singing a song with Lisa, accompanied by Jerry, and you connected it to Brexit. Do you want to just finish off by saying what your thoughts were? Well, I've been making this sort of broad statement in the research and development of this Arts in Action programme that I wanted to embrace the culture of the islands. Uh, that's Ireland, Great Britain and the islands of Ireland. Obviously, you can't do them all. So there's the Aran Islands and the Blasket Islands, but in particular, England, Scotland and Wales. And we have great, we had great musicians from Wales and uh, we have musicians coming from the Shetland Islands and Glasgow. But the deep connection that Lisa and I can share the first thing is that we share our voices mm. that we discovered our voices old and young um um sort of have this kind of unison uh, that is beautiful in itself but also we're sharing folk music the songs because the songs have traveled sometimes they traveled from england to ireland sometimes they traveled from ireland to england to scotland to america but they have been on the move for hundreds and hundreds of years and we both have lots of different versions of songs and knowledge of the songs and how they happened and, and of the same songs as well aren't, you know variations on the same songs that, that that's such a lovely idea as well that songs have their own life you know they move through people and you know we think we yes. we have the song but actually the song has us in yes. lots of ways and i think that's so really beautiful a, even if we didn't know each other and that we're you know we're in friends we have a folk music relationship mm. which is real it's a privilege to sing with you mary so and with you that's all I can and we say. have more than a folk music relationship now because mm. we're working you work together and you get closer but even if we just met to do some work we have a natural relationship and it can't be broken or fragmented or 
pushed away just because politics decides, you know, yes. all the things that it's doing to, trying to do to us all currently. So that's why I said that and that's why we sang that song to make that point. Wonderful. What a fabulous way to finish. Thank you so much to Jerry Diver, to Lisa thank Knapp you. and thank you to Mary McPartman. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.